Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Joining us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline to discuss Ben Shepard. The Pacers' second first-round pick, to put it in those terms, the head coach of the Belmont Bruins. And I'm assuming, Coach, that you are native of Chattanooga. I know you were born in Chattanooga. Did you grow up in Chattanooga? Uh, No, I spent my whole life in Nashville, actually. I lived in Chattanooga for five whole months. Wow, okay. I like Chattanooga, though. (laughs) Nashville's cool, too, though, but but Chattanooga... um, underrated city all right let's begin with it speaking of underrated that would be kind of the the initial thought of ben shepherd because it would be disingenuous i think for a lot of people to say that they saw a lot of him play in college in this area but he seems to have something that the pacers need and that is outside shooting but is there more to him give me the scouting report on ben shepherd yeah, Ben made his mark as a defender. Um, was our best defender for three years. Uh, is really, really good on the ball. Uh, so I don't think you're giving th- anything up on that end. He's not a guy that you're just going to plant in the corner and hope he makes three-point shots. Um, a lot more versatile than that on both ends of the floor. Casey, I, I want to go back to his recruitment. I know you were at Lipscomb for a little bit, so I don't know how much overlap you had with his recruitment. But what, if anything, can you kind of fill us in on Ben Shepard, the high school prospect, and, into what he grew into uh, over the four years at Belmont? Yeah, Belmont and Lipscomb are only two miles apart. So I actually recruited Ben really, really hard when I was the head coach at Lipscomb uh, and then got the job at Belmont. So coached Ben for all four years. Uh, so great familiarity there. But, um, you know, he was he was a guy coming out of high school that, that he was one of those rare guys that went from, you know, whatever, six feet to six five, seemingly overnight. Um, you know, so he had really, really good guard skills, but this long – lanky, uh, very immature body at the time. Um, but you could see the potential there. Really, really sound, fundamentally, um, <clears throat> really, really uh, prepared. He had a play at a great high school, same high school as Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, so he came hmm. to Belmont uh, ready. He just physically uh, had to develop. And, and, he, and he joined our team that was, um, that was really experienced, uh, a 2019 team that had won a first-round NCAA tournament game. And had everybody back, and so he just had to wait his turn a little bit. But um, but he was he was a good player from the beginning. <clears throat> I think sometimes so Ben got asked this. Go ahead, Kevin. I just have one 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 follow up, Jake. Uh, ben got asked this question, Coach, in his press conference again. Casey Alexander, by the way, joins us, the head coach of Belmont, uh, who obviously coached Ben Shepard in college. Uh, ben got asked this on Friday in the introductory presser about you know he averaged what sixteen a game, I believe it was his junior year. That rose to then eighteen a game his senior year. After his junior season, and this is just life for you as a head coach, probably quite often, unfortunately, moving forward, what were your emotions or feelings like thinking, oh boy, Ben Shepard is about to get called by a whole lot of teams to enter the transfer portal? Yeah, I'll put it in better context for you. Uh, That junior season is where Ben really emerged. Uh, We had three players on our team that year that were preseason all-conference players, and Ben was not one of them. Uh, all three of those guys were, fi- were fifth-year seniors and really good players. And so for him to emerge from that group, already our best defender, but he also led us in scoring that year. Um, you, know, we were, you know, we were pleasantly – I don't know if surprise is the right word, but it was, it was an accomplishment for him. And so we lose – 
seven of our top eight after that season. Five of those guys were fifth-year seniors and have graduated and moved on, and two guys transferred. So there's been the last man standing uh, out of those top eight. And you're right, he had plenty of suitors. He had a lot of people calling. Um, he had a lot of uncertainty. Uh, you know, we were, we were pretty, we've been a really good mid-major program for a long time, and he didn't, he didn't want to take a dip at all. Um, you know, and so it was, it was a hard time for him making those decisions about what his best options were going to be. But obviously, uh, stayed very loyal to Belmont. We talked a lot about, um, you know, kind of long-term goals. Let's think long-term on this decision um, and what it could mean for you to be, um, you know, the guy and, and have, a, have a significant role playing in the Missouri Valley Conference, which was our first year. And so we're glad he stayed. And, and he was remarkable from start to finish. I mean, he he carried our team <clears throat> and a bunch of new faces um, to another 21 season. And, and his numbers were unbelievable across the board. In my opinion, should have been player of the year in the league. It's interesting, <clears throat> Coach, that you mentioned that because what I was going to ask you, you know, here's a guy that averaged 19 a game for you. Uh, appeared in 32 games over 34 minutes a game and you just said it there I mean he was the guy for you and yet I think for some players they get to the league and they go from being the guy to now having to be a piece and for some guys that's difficult now Ben Shepard is clearly a more mature guy because he's a four-year player but can you give us some insight as to kind of the mindset, the coachability of a Ben Shepard and how that will be for him to have to acclimate to being more of a complimentary role to start at the NBA level? Yeah, good perspective there. There definitely are not any players uh, in the NBA level that weren't the guy. Uh, so there is an adjustment for sure. You know, I, I, I literally think that his experience here will serve him very well. I mean, for three years, he wasn't our guy either, uh, but he was really good. Uh, and, and, and played a really important role. And I, and I think more than anything, you know, I, I'm quite certain that what the Pacers, one thing they really love about Ben is just who he is and, and his character and, and the way that he goes about living his life. We all felt like in this spring season of workouts and combines and everything else that if he could hold his own on the floor, which he obviously did very well, that – that the intangibles would carry him over the top because, um, I mean, he is a rock-solid guy. I mean, he is an absolute no-risk person. Uh, his teammates will love him. Coaches will love coaching him. Pacers fans will, will love watching him. Uh, so he's the total package um, when you think about a guy that you want in your organization and representing you. I have always felt, Coach, and I know that Ben Shepard only played – a year in it. Casey Alexander is our guest, by the way, the head coach at Belmont. He's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. I have always felt like one of the most underrated or least talked about aspects of college basketball is the quality of coaching in the Missouri Valley. I think it's one of the best coached leagues. You have a lot of mature players in it. Um, I know he only played in it, Ben Shepard did, for one year but how much could that help him in the fact of I'm assuming that he saw really good game plans designed against him and really smart players that he had to play against. Will that be able to offset the the gap between that and, like, say, the Power Five conferences that some players get going into the NBA? Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think Ben's where he is at all if he doesn't play in the Missouri Valley this year because of what you said. I think – the NBA in general, they, they understand what a good league it is. And it's a, it's an extremely defensive-minded, um, oriented league. And so, you know, for you to uh, 
um, score the points that he scored with the efficiency he did it with, you know, on a team that especially, you know, for, for most of the year didn't have a lot of other weapons around him. Um, you know, that, that is, that's kind of instant credibility for Ben. And if he could do it in that league uh, against those players and, and against those coaches, um, then, you know, then that's, that's a significant accomplishment. Again, Casey Alexander is with us, the head coach of the Belmont Bruins. You heard that beautiful fight song out of Mark Dykton to lead off the segment here. The head coach of Ben Shepard uh, is with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Coach, I, I'm not sure if Rick Carlisle or Kevin Pritchard you know, called you directly, but if they did or when NBA teams called you and said, tell us about Ben Shepard, your elevator pitch to them was what? <laughs> uh, we heard from everybody at one time or another, so... Um uh, the elevator pitch was it was simple, you know. I mean, it's up to them to decide if he can play the game at that level and be an impact player. Uh, and, and if they like that, then they're going to love Ben, you know, because of what I've already mentioned. He's just he's just that guy. And I think you know he's not. I wouldn't say he's elite at everything. I mean, I think that would be embellishing just a little bit. But he has no holes. Uh, he's a very versatile player on both ends of the floor uh he's far more than a shooter on offense he can make plays he's really really quick twitch and can get the ball to the rim he's a he's an above average passer so he can play in any system offensively uh and then defensively i I don't think he's going to have any problem i think he'll be a guy that they can put on good point guards i think he'll be a guy that can guard two guards um, he's really, really good on the ball. So it's it's a it's a pretty low risk. Uh, once you get past the fact that he's not, um, you know, a, a lottery name, lottery pick name that comes from a blue blood, then um, then you see all the things that Ben can do. <laughs> Coach, I don't know how much this is a product of your system. I, I'm sure a bulk of it is, but I feel like when I watch the little bit that I watched of Ben, and certainly when you watch his highlights and watch you guys operate offensively, I feel like that dude is always moving. Like he is a little bit of an energizer bunny off the ball, and you know, you guys are running him across, you know, tons of screens, and and offensively, it seems like he is always moving. Is that more you think product of your system, or is that just kind of how he he's wired? Definitely our system, but it's also how he's wired, uh, and and I think it's a really good reason why um, why he understands the the game the way that he does. I mean, really high basketball IQ uh, plays really well off of others offensively as far as cutting and moving and making himself available. Um, you know, in that versatility that I spoke of, I mean, we you know we could get him <clears throat> we could get him shots off pin downs. He, we used him in ball screens. Uh, we play him at point guard plenty, uh, you know, and so he, that's really where his game took off this year. Um, when we talked about him being the guy earlier in the segment, um, you know, he, he was just relied upon to do a whole lot more on the offensive end, uh, really of every kind of body. Coach, can you give me a story of, you know, when you're around a guy a lot, whether it be practices, whether it be at a game, whether it be a time where you went into talk to your team at halftime and didn't know quite what to say and all of a sudden you look down and you know Ben Shepard speaks up whatever it might be but can you give me if there is one that jumps out to you just a story or a moment where you thought to yourself this guy is different and this is why he's different this is this is the kind of guy that I want to coach because of what just took place is there anything that jumps out well that was a four-year run with Ben I mean literally I've never seen Ben have a bad day uh, I'm sure he's had bad days, but he doesn't wear it on his sleeve. He smiles all the time. He's just a happy guy, uh, really well grounded. But <clears throat> if you're that one moment you're talking about, he had 41 in a game 
his junior year. We won the game in overtime. He makes a three to send it into overtime at the buzzer, basically. Um, and I, and it with the 41 points. And I, I didn't realize until after the game that I had never taken him out, So, which is very unusual for us. We play with a lot of pace, and so it's very hard to play significant minutes for us. And you know, he played 45 minutes. And, 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 and the reason why that's so interesting is he just, he, he's one of those guys. You, you mentioned Ener- Energizer Bunny just a minute ago. I mean, he just he doesn't he doesn't seem to get tired. Uh, he never missed a practice or a game because of an injury, um, and he's just really really gifted and blessed with a body that can play heavy minutes and at a high speed and and without losing any efficiency. Were you surprised when? I mean, I, I'm assuming you probably knew. Maybe you were there when he got the phone call or whatever else. But if I'd have told you right before the draft he's going to go 26th in the draft, would that have surprised you? No, not at all. Uh, I mean, it would have surprised me a month ago. Um, but by draft night, we were going we were going to be disappointed if he didn't uh, if he wasn't a first round pick. We just gotten enough feedback, and you you never how, know how things will go on draft night with trades and everything else. But um, but he had been promised a first-round pick by somebody, uh, and, and it wasn't the Pacers. Uh, so if the Pacers didn't take him, he was going to be taken um, not too long after that. Now, who was it? <laughs> One of the other teams. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, Casey. Last one from me. Obviously, Belmont, we talked about Dylan Windler kind of open up the the segment. I know Sam Orm is, is down there as well from Carmel. I think at Lipscomb, you guys had some State of Indiana guys as well. Um, what is it about? Uh, you're certainly driving distance. It's not too bad at all. And who, who wouldn't want to play in Nashville, frankly? Uh, but what is it about maybe Central Indiana or the state that, that you and your coaching career have kind of tried to dip into this pool of, uh, of various prospects up here? Well, one thing is there are various prospects up there, and so you go where the players are. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, clearly we all know um, how important basketball is in the state of Indiana, and, and there are tremendous coaches in the state of Indiana, and uh, and just our style of play. I mean, we we want guys that understand the game and can play together and have really really good skills. We'll we'll probably favor skills more than talent, more than most teams will. And, and that's a lot of what Indiana is. So we've had we have had a number of guys um, from Indiana over the years, and really even in the Midwest. Um, you know, and, and now that we're in the Missouri Valley, that'll that'll be an important region for us. Coach, before we let you go, I also wanted to ask, and certainly I don't want to put you in a position where you're like recruiting for another school. So mm-hmm. don't take it that way. But um, you know, Indiana State, I thought had a good year, considering they also you know new coach and Josh Schertz. He's in, he finished his second year, I think it was at ISU. Um, just your overall impressions of what Indiana State was able to do in the MoVal and as you also yourself are getting footing within the league itself just the way that Indiana State is coached. Yeah, Josh is a tremendous coach. I mean, and you go back, the reason he got that job is because he did so well at Lincoln Memorial University, a Division II school uh, over in East Tennessee. And, And not to throw shade here, but if you can be a national, if you can be nationally relevant year after year at Lincoln Memorial, then you can coach the game because uh, that's a hard, hard place to be and to recruit to. But their turnaround this year was great. He had, he had really good players and, and he coached them really well. Um, and I don't, I would expect it to stay that way. I mean, he the guy wins games, and um, and I know they've added some nice pieces from the portal. Uh, even though, like all of us, they lost a lot, he's added some nice pieces. So I would. I would expect him to stay there, right there in the top half of, of the valley, at the least. 
some terrific background right there on Ben Shepard. Again, Casey Alexander, the head coach of Belmont. Always enjoy watching them play and uh, looking forward to following, of course, the career of Ben Shepard right here with the Pacers. Coach, great stuff. Enjoy a little bit of quiet time if you can this summer, and uh, good luck this fall. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. See you soon. Thank you to Casey Alexander. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Alexander. That is the Belmont head coach. Podcast will be up. Really enjoyed getting some insight into Ben Shepard there. We will do the same thing with Jarris Walker coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. That'll be around 9.30. Kellen Sampson, the son of Kelvin Sampson, uh, who's on the staff with Houston, is going to join us to talk about Jarris Walker from a collegiate standpoint after we got a little bit of high school insight into Walker yesterday with Brian Nash from the IMG Academy. Uh, do we have Tony East on the line? We've got him. Tony East joins us now, locked on Pacers. Covers the Pacers for SI, and he's been a busy man, of course, over the last handful of days. Tony, good morning. What is this order of guests? I'm sandwiched between quite the people this morning. Well, that's, I mean, some some could say the middle of the sandwich is the best there, Tony. That's right. <laughs> You're the meat of the matter, Tony. Um, speaking of the speaking of the meat of the matter, uh, let's get to this question right away because we've talked about Jarris Walker and Ben Shepard. There's still a roster spot for the Pacers, and uh, you know O'Shea Brissett's out there. I I don't know that necessarily that that's like the first call that they make, but in what areas do you believe that they are exploring in terms of how where they may go now? Yeah, it still has to be forwards to me. I mean, yeah, they drafted Jarris, and he certainly will have some sort of role coming for him. You know, we've seen since Rick Carlisle took over, his lottery picks play somewhere close to 28 minutes per game. So something like that for Jarris Walker makes sense to me. Uh, but the rest of their forwards are, you know, Aaron Neesmith and Jordan Wara, and that's kind of it. So I still kind of think they need a lot more there. You know, the Chad Buchanan did say they pursued some of that high-quality wing talent, but weren't able to find a deal around the draft, so it would not surprise me if that's where they were looking in free agency. And, yeah, they only have one roster spot, so if you are O'Shea Brissett, George Taylor, James Johnson, you're kind of thinking maybe a trade's going to be needed by the Pacers to open up a spot if you want to come back, because if they go after that wing, that's their whole team. So I still think they're going to be going after players like that in free agency. They still need depth at the forward spots, and we'll see if it involves any of their own guys or not. Okay, Tony, let, let's actually throw some names out there. I know it's not maybe the favorite thing that you like to do, but that's the reality of kind of where the Pacers are at right now with over $30 million in cap space available heading into this weekend. Um, stop me when you hear or don't hear names that you think should be on a realistic free agent list. Harrison Barnes, Trey Lyles, Jeremy oh. Grant. You've uh, already, Dorian you've already F- hit one of the, the most realistic ones to be in Harrison Barnes. I mean, okay. the Kings didn't... The Kings draft night, they cleared that cap space in, the, in that draft night trade. And, you know, you don't do that unless you have pretty big plans with that space, to me at least. And uh, Barnes is a free agent. Perhaps they just bring him back. But it seems like he's somebody that they are potentially willing to let go to use their space on somebody else. And 
the thing about him is, you know, he isn't, he isn't the biggest ceiling raiser ever, but his fit with the Pacers would be great. He could play the three or the four. He played for Carlisle for years in Dallas, and um, you know, they have a pretty good relationship. And Tyree Talbert talked about Barnes being a good influence for him early in his career in Sacramento. Like, his connections to key Pacers figures is – it runs deep. He, he he plays the both of the could play both of the positions. The Pacers need depth. That he isn't like the most amazing player, but he he could do stuff on both ends of the floor. I think he'd be a pretty dang good fit for what this team needs. Obviously, Trey Lyles as an indie kid would be great, and Jeremy Grant I think's probably the dream for the Pacers. They're going to need Damian Lillard to be to be calling some shots really quickly if they want to have a shot at that one. Because I mean he's a wonderful player on both ends of the floor, but in terms of Within their budget, realistic target, Terrison Barnes seems like he could be a pretty good fit for this team. Okay, and then I think your latest Locked on Pacers podcast covers this topic, so I encourage people to check that out. Tony, on the Tyrese Halliburton contract extension that is expected to come, I believe, very soon here. Tony, uh, could you fill us in on exactly how much debate there will be with this extension? I, I feel like there's not a lot of back and forth. It seems rather obvious for both parties, Pacers to give him the contract that he deserves, and obviously Halliburton to then sign that. And then this has no impact on this year's cap space which is in the 32 to 33 million dollar range correct that is correct yeah it would kick in in the 2024-25 season once his current deal is done and i think this is the biggest and most important part of their summer by a mile i mean if you can lock up a player of that caliber at age 23 or so i mean if they lock him up on a five-year extension on top of next season like he'd be under contract through 2029 i mean that's just unbelievable in the NBA to have a player for that long like that is the top and most important thing for the Pacers this summer and if they can pull it off or get it done as quickly as possible that would be huge for them you know we could find out as soon as June 30th that when the free agency period opens and yeah there's the moratorium so it wouldn't be official it'd just be those little news leaks we get but I mean if they could get it done as soon as possible and I'm sure they've you know had those conversations started that would be significant for them. And yeah, up to five years, it's hard to guess exactly what the salary cap number would be next year. And that was what influences what the, the money would be. But it, it, it's going to be over to potentially over $200 million in that span. But he's an all-star at 23 and was in the All-NBA mix before he got hurt twice. Like, he's certainly worth that to me and is only getting better and could make that look quite frankly, like a bargain if the cap keeps rising like it looks like it could. So uh, that, that's the most important thing of their offseason to me. And if, if, they, if they get him on a five-year deal with no options on the end, which will be a point of negotiation, uh, it, I mean, that, their offseason is basically an aid to me no matter what else they do. So that's the biggest thing for them to do. We'll see how quickly they can get something done. Tony East is our guest. He's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. Tony, one of the fascinating things to me about the Pacers um, – <laughs> I don't know, every three days I see some article somewhere typically attached to the Lakers about trades that involve Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. It's always those two together. Like, it's never one or the other. For whatever reason, it's always the two of them <laughs> together. Um, how much do you believe that the Pacers have actually shopped those two guys? And do you believe they're on the roster because Indiana truly likes what they bring or because they just simply haven't found the right fit to come back well for a while it made sense to me why those names were in trade talks because you know before the Pacers really took off last season like nobody thought they would be as good as they were and 
Turner was on an expiring contract. Shields was not that long left. Like that's generally how teams that aren't supposed to be good operate. They they trade away their stuff that they could lose for nothing in free agency for something, and like that's just good business. And so for Buddy Hield specifically now, I still think that may, has some merit, right? I think you'll hear him, until he, if he signs an extension, then maybe this goes away. But if he doesn't, he's on an expiring contract and he's a veteran. Like that's a player that you, I think you have to think about trading at any time for any team, right? Like you, losing guys for nothing is just bad asset management. So uh, yeah, him being in all that stuff makes sense to me. Turner, not so much anymore now that he's got his extension done and is their starting center and is a very good player and fits extremely well with their team. And in terms of how aggressive those, those talks actually go for them, I kind of view it more as like, willing to take calls but not actively shopping perhaps in Heald's case it's a little more uh blurred just because like I said he is on that expiring deal and his value goes down as the season progresses and he becomes more of a rental but I don't think Turner is somebody that they'd be necessarily looking to move especially after the extension they just signed him to and I think it's just a case of at the for a while it was that they were perceived as a rebuilding team and they were veterans with shorter contracts but now as the Pacers push and, and want to be better at good this coming season, you know, Heald's contract is still expiring, but they're just good players. And it's not, that's not something a team that wants to win games just actively looks to get rid of before the season even starts. Tony, on the Buddy Heald front, Jake and I were discussing this a little bit earlier. And again, Tony East is with us here. SI.com covers the Pacers. Locked on Pacers is the podcast. Um, outstanding work, per usual, from Tony all throughout this draft coverage. And that will certainly continue with free agency starting here in just a couple of days. Um, you know, if I was going to pencil in a starting lineup for the Pacers, and obviously this could change a whole lot here very quickly, but Halliburton... Matherin, uh, Turner, I, I assume Jarris Walker for now. That two spot for me, I, I just assumed it was Buddy Heald, but you know, I'll, I'll go with Scott Agnes, and Scott mentioned Andrew Nemhard in the starting lineup. I think it was yesterday when he was filling in from noon to three, and obviously Scott is incredibly plugged in, certainly compared to me on the Pacers front, but I, I just feel like Buddy in the starting lineup would benefit more from him, his presence than Nemhard, and I kind of like Nemhard a little bit more dominating the ball with that second unit. Um, how do you view a, a, a very June 27th look at a starting lineup, in particular what you do with Buddy Heald and Andrew Nemhard? Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky balance of those positions, right? We heard Matherin talk about on ESPN2 earlier in the offseason kind of how he, where he views the positions that he did call himself the three potentially as the starter of the season. So, you know, I kind of thought maybe it would be Halliburton at the one, Matherin at the two, and then some sort of wing, you know, added or maybe even a defensive just Neesmith throw him in there uh, at some point just to, to get the right bodies out there. But I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Either way, in terms of Heald and Nemhard, like I'm with you that the way that that group would shake out with, you know, Walker, Mather, and Turner and Halliburton, you know, that Halliburton can really shoot it, and Turner, a lot of times, can't he finish at 37 percent last year? But I think you would need a little more shooting with that group, especially with Walker and Mather and being question marks uh, in, in the pros as as to how well they'll be able to shoot the ball from deep and. Heald's spacing was really big for every young pacer last year, and now that the team's trying to be a little better. And we know that Heald is absolutely at his best playing with Halbert, and their chemistry is what makes it makes both players better. You know, I would try to put them together as much as I feasibly could, 
if I'm the Pacers, and yeah, they have to think about their long-term future. If that means you start Andrew Nimhard, you start Andrew Nimhard. But like you, Kevin, I think there is more opportunities for him to have the ball. If he is with the second unit, who knows what T.J. McConnell's role is going to look like, too. But you know, I, I think that that will be a, a tough debate for them to figure out. Late last season, right, they started Matherin and Nimhard and had Hield come off the bench, but Halbert wasn't playing, right? He wasn't a part of those lineups and discussions. I think they're trying to figure out what Buddy Hield's role will be though right that was something kevin pritchard mentioned in his end of season presser and when he was talking about extensions is they've got to find a, a role for buddy Heald that makes sense for both the pacers and for buddy Heald. right i think there is still questions about what that is on this pacers team especially with the young guys they have in the mix and so it might just depend if they get another if their wing acquisition is a shooter maybe they don't need to to have Heald in the starting five but I, I think there is good sense in starting him and having his spacing out there and his, his chemistry with Halbert as a part of the opening unit. Tony, one of the things that I think you probably understand better than most, if not everyone, is in fact the cap and you know the, the cost, the flexibility that a team has to have in, in terms of where their dollars are going and where their dollars can be freed up. I want to go back to what you were talking about earlier. As of right now, you know Halliburton we know is about to get a big-time deal. But the Pacers are in a position where they're going to have to really start looking at the salary numbers and getting creative when. How long is the window here where they have some flexibility before it's about to get real and they're going to have to make difficult decisions? Yeah, a year and maybe two, you know, because Halliburton's extension wouldn't kick in until the season after this one. And as it stands... They only have one player making over $20 million, which for a team that wants to be good is like unheard of, right, in the NBA that with how quickly salaries are jumping. Like the lowest max tier now starts at like $34 million, right? Like salaries are climbing fast in the league. And so having only one player making over $20 million in Turner, and next year Turner's salary goes under $20 million, I mean, that, that's just unheard of for a team trying to be good. So their cap right now is really clean, right? So they don't have to make those tough, creative decisions yet. And they have at least a full year before Halliburton's kicks in. But even then, they won't have anybody super expensive. So it kind of depends on what they do this summer. If they sign somebody to a long, big deal uh, at this time, and that player fits really well and it's worth it, then great. Um, but then they'll have less wiggle room to work with next summer. And then after that, they, they're probably looking at, you know, Matherin's extension would be coming up uh, on his rookie deal and anybody else they bring in. Certainly they'd have to continue to sign. If they if they sign them, they, they would presume they're a good fit. So I think about a two-year window now to kind of figure out what makes sense to have what salary slots where, which is a, still a pretty – long time to, to sort things out especially if they have halbert for you know five or six years locked up but it, it i i've kind of said that this summer they'll have to start thinking about those long-term ramifications but really they don't have to be mega creative or really squeezing every dollar out of, out of the, the cap until maybe 2024 2025 all right tony last one for me and i, and I know it's not the most pressing um, storyline, but the name recognition is there, and his strength is the Pacers' weakness, and that was the two-way contract for Oscar Shibway out of Kentucky. Again, a dominant, dominant rebounder at the collegiate level. Could you explain the two-way contract situation for the Pacers, how Shibway fits in, and what that means potentially for their two second-round picks in Mojave King and Isaiah Wong? Yeah, two-way deal, so he can split time between the Pacers and the 
whatever their location is, Mad Ants this coming season. They're not playing in Fort Wayne, but they're not in Noblesville yet. Um, so they're G League affiliate team. And so uh, that, that's kind of perfect for him, right? The rebounding is obviously incredible. 15 per game as a junior. It's just a ridiculous number to see. Uh, and so that, I mean, that is usually a skill that translates really well from level to level. We saw that with Terry Taylor. Of course, even with the Pacers, and he was only six foot five. So I imagine Shibuya is going to be a beast on the. I mean, I saw him at the combine; he was scooping up every miss. I imagine at the G League level, he'll be able to do that. The question is, what does that look like in the NBA, and what skills can you pair with that? Right? Because his finishing definitely could use some work, and you know, his away from the rim skills need some work. So that'll be the questions for him on what that means. But I mean, yeah, the Pacers have been rebounding for forever. So in a pinch, if they need it, yeah, put him out there, see how it goes, and. Uh, we'll see what that means for the rest of their backup bigs because they have a bunch, right? They have Daniel Tice and Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith all in the mix. So even if he is healthy all season for Sheepway, it's going to be a unique situation where he might just be a development project all year, given what they have at the moment. But in terms of the rest of their two ways, you know, I thought that when they at first when they signed Sheepway or you know agreed to with him that it would be him and their second rounders. But it sounds like you know we've seen it. Uh, reported by uh, iPacers and uh, Justin Dopirak that Mojave King's going to be a stash. I don't know exactly where he's going to play this coming season. He's a couple seasons in the NBL in Australia before. Um, those I don't know how well those went for him, so who knows what he'll actually end up playing this year. But uh, it sounds like he'll be a stash and won't be with the Pacers. Isaiah Wong and Kendall Brown would be my predictions for the other two Pacers two-way slots. Kendall Brown, they picked 48th last year. Uh, so we'll see where those end up. But those are good development gambles, and they have King's draft rights whenever he does you know, decide to come to the NBA. So that's, that's what I would predict happens with those two-way deals. But you know, anything can change uh, given moves or anything that could happen in the coming days. Tony, it's interesting to me because a year ago, you know, this time a year ago we were talking about how the Pacers were basically just starting over from scratch. And, and here we are, uh, you know, and we thought – Turner, to your point, we didn't know where that was going to go. We didn't know if Heald was going to be flipped into other pieces. We didn't know how good Halliburton was going to be or that he was going to have that kind of year. Are we already a year later to the point where they have the – where basically the overhaul is kind of done and now it's just a matter of adding a few Lego pieces on the side of it but the main core is right there and now it's just a matter of watering it and watching it grow? Yeah, that's kind of the the big question, really. And Kevin Richard, when he was talking about it, it was like, do you keep adding to the foundation or are you ready to put the walls up, right, as you build your team-building house, whatever you want to call it? And, you know, that, that that's a tough one to answer because, to me, you know, Matherin is 21, Halliburton is 23, right? They have all this other stuff that's great, but I still think that they're a young team, and adding young pieces is – maybe the way to go with some patience. And so you drafted Jarris Walker and you maybe somehow add a, a young forward and free agency. And then boom, you've got a team that you can kind of split the difference on, which isn't necessarily the best way to team build, but you kind of just grow organically for a while until you know, you're ready to, to sign the big guns. But I get in their situation going, well, we have this potential all NBA level talent. Our, you know, our center was amazing this past season, but he healed an Ironman who can shoot it. Like, when all those guys were playing, we were really good already. Like, we're ready to be better. And they were a playoff-level team when just Turner and Halliburton were available, regardless of other pieces last year. So 
you know, I understand them saying, yeah, we could just throw some pieces onto the side of those guys and we're ready to go. We're ready to run and we can figure out the rest of it as we go because we've got a long runway with, with Halvern and Matherin on our team because of restricted free agency and extension. So, yeah, I think that his Halvern's ascent into you know an elite ball handler last season and the way it went worked out for the rest of the Pacers and their growth too uh, certainly means they can uh, afford to not be as patient and just kind of go for it now. Yeah, I think letting it grow naturally, I could not agree more on that front. Halliburton, Matherin, we haven't really even seen them in the starting lineup together. Let's see what happens over the course of the year, and, and you obviously you still have got enough in the cupboard to make some moves moving forward. All right, Tony, last, last one. Where's the bachelor party? <laughs> uh, we'll see. Hopefully tucked away in the mountains of some some little town you've never heard of where no one can bother me for four days. No, what's your boy? That sounds like a hell of a time. There goes our invite, Jake. <laughs> wow. Okay. Do we do we have it narrowed down to any states where these mountain ranges are? I mean, not to infringe Wyoming. too much on your privacy here. Wyoming, yeah, that'd be fun out west. Somewhere in Montana, maybe, would be really cool. Um, somewhere like that, you know. You, again, a town you've never heard of, and you'll never hear of it again after I after I mention it to you. Very on brand right there from Tony East. Well, congrats again, Tony, on the engagement. And uh, I know it's going to be another busy week and weekend for you. Always enjoy our convos, man. Have a good one. Of course. Thanks, guys. All right, let's head. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you to the Payless Liquors hotline and yesterday we got kind of the high school background on Jarris Walker. Today we'll get a little bit more of the college insight and he is an assistant coach for his father down at Houston. He is Kellen Sampson and he joins us right now on the Payless Liquors hotline. Coach, good morning. Hey, good morning to you guys. Hope all is well up in Indianapolis. Coach, your first time seeing Jarris Walker, I'm going to guess the physical presence of him stood out. What do you recall about that first time you walked into a gym and saw him? Just how ridiculously confident he is. Um, you know, you're talking about a kid who at, at age 14 left home, um, never went to a public high school, never, never went to um, – you know, uh, a school down the street when it came to high school. I mean, he 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 literally is the is the byproduct of the European model, right? Is he went to uh, a club at age fourteen and and trained for four years at IMG. So the first time I saw him, because of the pandemic, was the summer before his senior year of high school, and and I just couldn't get over how confident and assured of himself he was. Um, just never seemed rattled and and had just this awesome demeanor in, in everything he does. Was there anything in particular, and I guess I don't know exactly the order of how, when you saw him versus your dad or how you know scholarship offers work, but what, I guess, struck you that said, hey, we have to offer this guy. This guy is a Houston Cougar without question. Yeah. Uh, first, you look at his physical stature. I mean, he, uh, I mean, he looks like a, a, a guy that's a seven-year pro. Um, when he walks through the door, but uh, just he, he's blessed with an with an awesome basketball IQ, but an awesome basketball skill set. I mean, he's he's uh, 
you know, six seven, two hundred and forty five pounds without ever lifting a weight. He's seven two and a half wingspan, and he's as easy. He's as as much a candidate to not only snatch the rebound but also put it on the deck and then make the right play as he is uh, coming out of nowhere and blocking a shot. I mean, he's um, we've done a heck of a job finding uh, under the radar under the radar prospects. And developing him into something, Cheris was not that. <laughs> Cheris screamed at you that uh, he's going to spend nine months on campus, and if you don't screw him up, he's going to get taken uh, with the eighth pick in the draft. And fortunately, we did. Coach, one thing that is very obvious in watching Houston play, and, and it was true, obviously, at Indiana and at Oklahoma, in Kelvin Sampson's teams, and Washington State for that matter. Um, there's a it is a swarming level of defense and it is absolutely just like a dogfight anytime you you watch Houston play did Walker have to learn that or did he walk in from the get-go of because I think that it takes a special breed does it not coach to buy into being a nasty defensive based team because guys all want to score did he have to learn that yes I mean I think that um um you know he he it, there were things that came really natural to him. He's a natural rim protector. He's a naturally, uh, uh, he's gifted with with natural anticipation skills for to be all of to be a terrific defender. Um, but to your point, n- nobody walks through the door ready to be a tough, gritty, relentless um, competitor on the defensive end. You have to you have to surrender to the process around here. But. I'll give Jarris all the credit in the world. This is literally a kid who could have gone anywhere in America uh, to go to college. He chose Houston knowing that it was probably going to be hard. You know, we're not known for, for easy practices. We're not known for uh, a carefree, come-as-you-go existence here. Uh, and, and it was certainly the case for Jarris. He, he chose difficult because he, he knew and his people and his family knew it's what Jarris needed to accomplish his goals and dreams. And I remember talking to so many people in the, in the draft processes. Uh, Jarris chose Houston, even though he knew um, that he was going to get pushed outside his comfort zones and comfort levels like no other. I, I can't think of a higher praise for that kid than, than that. What is outside his comfort zone? What areas did you notice him looking uncomfortable? You know, it's interesting is given how physical he, how, how physically imposing he is, um, playing with great physicality didn't come natural to him. It's one of those deals is that he's always been so big. Uh, he spent most of his youth being, people thought he was three or four grades ahead of who he was. And so uh, everybody was so quick to, to call fouls on him. They were so quick to, to call a charge or over the back or all this other stuff. And so Jarrett, over time, developed learned how to play without contact because people or little kids used to flop on him all the time. And so by the time we got him, or he got older in high school and we got him, he didn't have a great feel for how to play with great physicality. And he almost avoided contact too much um, as a byproduct of just being the biggest, strongest kid uh, his whole life. And so uh, we really had to work at um, getting him, uh, getting an edge back with him. Um, but I'll give all the credit in the world to Jarris is that he's not too big or too uh, to try anything. He is unbelievably, ridiculously coachable. 
Um, we've never had a freshman here who was as in, who was as intelligent and asked as good of questions as he did uh, as a freshman. I mean, most freshmen you get, they're asking those brown nosing kind of suck up questions just so that the coach thinks that they're really paying attention. Whereas Jarris asked the pertinent, deep, important questions that he knew he would be responsible for. Um, just just blown away at who Jarris is from the shoulders up. You know, it's interesting, Coach. Kellen Sampson from the University of Houston is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. Mm-hmm. When you only have a guy, you know, it's not like you had him for four years, right? But even in that time frame, did you see growth out of him? And and there are some guys that want to grow and other guys that don't realize that they're just doing it organically. Which did you see out of him and what areas did under your watch you see him develop? Yeah, yeah. Look, we knew if it went well with Jairus that we were going to have him nine months. But even in his – Jairus unpacked his bags here. Um, I don't think he was – he never took the mindset or he never took the approach that I'm out regardless. I'll be, you know, it was always I'll be out if if that's what um, if that's what the obvious answer is to be, and I think that you know one of Jarris's greatest gifts is that he's ridiculously always in the moment with you. Uh, he's in the moment for every workout. He's in the moment for every practice. He's in the moment for every film session, and because of that, he gets better in such huge leaps and bounds. I mean, you're talking about a kid. I thought he got better every month he was with us. Um, he became a better shooter. Uh, he became uh, a more diverse offensive weapon. Uh, he be- he became a much better finisher and scorer inside five feet, which is where I didn't think he was terrific when he first got to us. But we we worked we worked we worked. But I, I think that Chairs learned to give. Uh, terrific multiple efforts on the defensive end um, and really took to seeing that as I think he was always a good defender uh, but every month Jairus became to understand the value of becoming a versatile defender not just a guy who gets steals or blocks but a guy who can you know win first dribbles take you know really be aggressive and challenge and win closeouts and took a lot of pride in his defensive effort. I mean, against Auburn, uh, his second to last game with us, I mean, he had seven block shots and he raced um, numerous defensive mistakes uh, along the way. So um, you, you, I think it, with his basketball savvy as Pacer fans are, they're, they're going to fall in love with Jarris. Coach, I was hoping you could expand a little bit more on kind of that defensive nerd stuff. You know, this franchise has been, frankly, pretty horrid on defense over the last handful of years, and that's with an elite rim protector in Miles Turner, but so many breakdowns on the perimeter and just guys getting into the lane. You bring up that Auburn game, I think the Miami game as well. He had another really you know nice rebound block standpoint in the tournament. What made Jarris the type of defensive player that obviously the NBA clearly coveted in the pace desperately need well first of all it starts with his, his intelligence um, d- uh, bad defenders are dumb defenders um, and and I think it starts there is you know, Jarris gets a lot of blocks but he also doesn't get in a lot of fouls because he doesn't needlessly go for shot fakes uh, he doesn't needlessly gamble his way out of position he, he, he he's very calculated with um, who, what, when, and where he 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 
challenges, passing angles, passing lines. Uh, he's got terrific timing and body control coming over on the weak side and, and um, sending back, uh, especially slot drives. He, he's just he's he reads it well and he and he's gifted in that regard. But um, you know, if Jarris was a defensive end, uh, he would be a combine freak. Uh, in Indianapolis every year. I mean, he is, given his size, his length, his, his athleticism, his ability and his short area quickness and burst to win first dribbles and, and to close out, drop his hips and win first bounces um, is awfully, awfully impressive. He can trap or hard show or, or, or hard hedge any ball screen that you're asking of him, but he can also switch and stay in front of 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 um, jitterbug guards. I mean, I think you know. At no point in time did we ever have any concerns, especially once we got to conference play, with him switching on on the point guards. And I think it, the numbers bore out that in one on one situations, um, Jarris was as a, as an elite of an ISO defender as there was in the country. And that's a combination of his length, his athleticism. But I just can't overstate um, how intelligent and smart he is at, at at in scramble and broken court situations. Well, Coach, I appreciate the time this morning. Uh, just out of curiosity, like for Father's Day and Christmas every year, do you just get your dad denim shirts? Is that how that works? <laughs> like, like is he like? Well, wait a minute. Yeah, you've given me forty of these, but I could always use a forty-first, right? Well, you know what? One of the best parts of COVID is he is we've totally gone away from. Um, all that, and and then, you know, he was always a blue shirt, red tie guy forever and for always. Um, yeah, he's a golf shirt polos. guy now, right? We are straight polos, but then yeah. how about this? We we are we are sweatpants. Uh, we don't even wear khakis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you and the rest of the world, man, it's beautiful. Yeah. Hey, listen, oh, man, I, uh, watching Houston basketball, I got to tell you, it's I mean. I, it is frantic and it's like a roller coaster because of the way that you guys just suffocate and take teams out of rhythm. And and as a as a spectator, it it's like a roller coaster ride. So I can only imagine from a coaching standpoint, it's an organized chaos, but it's an impressive chaos, and obviously it works. So um, curious to see how that works out for Jarris Walker here and how he brings that intensity to the Pacers. But the insight this morning is certainly appreciated. We appreciate it very much. You guys have an awesome day. Have a great summer, and uh, we look forward to seeing Jarris in the uh, blue and gold come uh, come November. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it. You guys be blessed.